Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe Facillo, as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area we always encourage everyone to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app. More importantly, share it with your friends. You have all our programming on there. Remember, we are an EWTN affiliate, so you get all that programming and all our original programming, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. There's Restless on there on the station. Um, there is uh, Let's Be Frank with uh, Bishop uh, Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, so there's a lot of great content on there. So we know you're going to love it on the app and share it with your friends. And if you don't mind, follow Joe and I on social media. You can follow us primarily at the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. And today we are very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program, Kristen Van Uden. And we are going to be talking about two books today, okay, uh, both of which are um, published by Sophia Institute Press, okay, uh, and that is where that is where Kristen works, and uh, and we're going to get into that. I'm going to give a quick bio, uh, but the two books we're going to be discuss, uh, discussing today are The Truth About Purgatory and The Means to Avoid It. I'm going to need that conversation. I so am I, actually. I, I was going to say, well, if I end up in purgatory, no, 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 not so much. You don't really want to go to purgatory. Uh, however, The Truth About Purgatory and the Means to Avoid It by Father Martin Jugi. And uh, also we're going to be discussing The Afterlife, Purgatory and Heaven Explained by Fa uh, Father Delindo Rutolo. Uh, so we're going to spend our two segments discussing those Two books. Now, as far as Kristen Van Uden, she serves in a, as an author, spokesperson uh, at Sophia Institute Press. Um, she received her MA in history from the College of William and Mary and her BA in history and Russian from St. Anselm College. She studies the persecution of Catholics under communist regimes. She's been featured on a wide range of media and platforms, including Coast to Coast AM, The Federalist, and the Catholic Faith Network. Kristen Van Uden, of course, welcome as always back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Hi guys, thanks so much for having me back. Absolutely, it's our pleasure. Uh, I, I will say, I'm gonna hand it over to Joe, um, but one of the things we ought to pray for, because uh, we, you know, Kristen, we always start our show with a prayer. Uh, aside from, you know, we have a good conversation and an enlightening conversation. I mean, you understand persecution. In other words, this is part of what you studied, and we need to offer a prayer for the 50 Catholics that were recently killed in Nigeria um, at mass, okay? Um, you want to talk about, you know, Americans, you know, we complain all the time in America, Kristen, about, you know, how, what we go through as Catholics in America. That is nothing, mm -hmm. nothing compared to what Catholics are going through in other parts of the world. Uh, so uh, we, we're going to remember them in our prayers. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Start with the prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. 
Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. As many of you know, uh, Kristen is a friend of the show, uh, and we're going to talk about a very important subject, purgatory. The first book, as Joe said, is by Father Martin Jugi. Um, the name of the book is The Truth About Purgatory and the Means to Avoid It. I want to avoid purgatory. I'll tell you a little story before we even get to it. I remember going to confession with Andrew Apostle about 15 years ago. And to be honest with you, I, I don't want to sound say, say I was like starstruck, but clearly he was a famous man. And I'm like sitting there in front of him. It was an open, like it wasn't in a box. It was like in, in a like seat to seat. And I was just like, he scared the hell out of me, to be completely honest with you. He's like, you don't want to go to purgatory. <laughs> he was just like, pray this every day. He was like some Fatima prayer. You don't want to go to purgatory. I was just like, holy goodness gracious. He like scared the hell out of me, Kristen. I'm going to be completely honest with you. So I'm very interested in to hear what you have to say. Um, particularly, uh, you know, Father Jugi is giving a perspective, I guess, to avoid the pains of purgatory. Could, could you elaborate on that? claim because i don't think uh purgatory is uh too good of a time and i don't i don't want to go i hopefully the, our lady <laughs> kind of gets me out of there Books you out <laughs> yeah that's a great point and you'll often hear people say oh i'm gonna shoot for purgatory and if i make it there if i just make it barely over the line out of hell then i will be happy and i mean in a certain sense yes because we know and they teach in these books both fathers emphasize that those who are in purgatory are confirmed in grace so that means they are no longer in any danger of hell they can't sin any longer but nor do their actions merit anything for themselves any longer either but on the other hand purgatory is a terrible place there is lots of suffering the each sin, if you think of its magnitude in eternity, has to be expiated for, even if it's been forgiven. So that we'll get into ways that we can do that here on earth, like indulgences, for example. But once you make it to the afterlife, those sins are fully need to be fully expiated for in the full magnitude of, of how they are. And so we have many descriptions of purgatory from the saints, mystics that describe mainly fire, suffering and fire. Some theologians even claim that the fires are the same fires as the fires of hell, but the difference is where you are and the, the state of your soul and where it is headed. Others just describe the, the pains of fire. Um, we've Actually, the word purgatory comes from the Greek root that also inspires the word fire. So P-U-R is the root of purgation, expiation, that type of thing, uh, but also the root of the word pyro, for example. So you can see purgatory, purgation, pyro, all are within that same definition. And so we, when you think of purgatory as the smelting down, really, of purifying the soul, it's like burning the excess off of something, and that is a painful process, and the soul is happy, uh, ironically, throughout that, because it is helping them get closer to God, but it is constant suffering, it is suffering for a long time, and you can't help yourself, you can only rely and throw yourself upon the mercy of God and also rely on the church militant here on earth and the saints in heaven to help you to expedite that process. So we should be shooting for heaven. And then if we land in purgatory, that can be considered a success. But I would challenge everybody to raise their standards from shooting for purgatory and, and really 
know that it can be done to lessen your time there at least and also to help those who are there right now. Yeah, I, uh, Chris Van Newton is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasola, Joe Rosanello. We're discussing uh, Father Martin Juvie's book, The Truth About Purgatory and the Means to Avoid It. Um, I, have, I am of the opinion, and again, I am not a theologian, so I want to make that clear. I think everybody out there knows that about me, okay? Um, I think most people go to purgatory. I think most people who are saved go to purgatory. I just think it makes too much sense. I'll be honest with you. I think that's why a lot of Protestants lately have been a little bit more vocal and saying, you know, you know what? I actually do kind of get the Catholic teaching on purgatory. I don't know if you've heard that. There's there's some there's some You're evangelicals out there saying, what did you, Joe? What did you say? Um, Pope Benedict said at one point about purgatory. If if it, if it didn't exist, we'd have to make it up. Right. It makes too much. Purgatory makes too much sense. And I think maybe again, I'm not looking at it from God's point of view because I'm not God. But to mm -hmm. me, it says nope. None of us, even saints. I mean, very 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 few people are ready to stand before God. I mean, if you die in your deathbed and you die in the grace of the sacraments, having given that confession and, and everything is gone at that moment and your pain and suffering um, that let's say you, you were suffering for six months with cancer or something. OK, and God accepted that as your suffering. OK, mm -hmm. aside from those people, mm -hmm. I think everybody ends up in purgatory. I really do. I just don't think anybody's ready to stand before God. Nothing unclean will enter the holy place. I think we all leave this world with a little bit of dirt. Am I wrong on that, Kristen? Well, that's a good point that nothing that is even slightly impure can enter heaven. So even if you just have a few venial sins that need expiating, it's just a metaphysical impossibility for anything that's stained by sin to exist in the presence of God. So when you think about it that way, purgatory is a great mercy. And that's how both of these priests write of it. Because otherwise, if you're slightly stained, which most of us are, either through venial sins that are unforgiven or mortal sins that have been repented of but still bear the marks on our soul then the only other alternative would be hell if purgatory didn't exist and, and this is why it is kind of mind-boggling to argue with protestants about this because when they're right as you said none of us really gets through life with that degree of sanctity except for some of the saints and of course we're taught that martyrs make it directly to heaven and are given the grace to skip purgatory because of making the ultimate sacrifice but other than that the the concept of purgatory is a sign of god's love for us a sign of his never-ending mercy working in tandem with his justice and this actually harkens back to what saint thomas aquinas writes of purgatory in the summa where he talks about how the magnitude of the sin of course as we discussed is directly proportionate to what occurs in expiating for it so if you are if you have some venial sins god does not damn you for that so therefore if you live a mostly good life and have some venial sins it does not make sense just just it, when you think about it, it it really is not logical to go to hell for those and then on the flip side if you are a mostly evil person who is living in mortal sin all the time the venial goods so to speak that you commit i mean nobody is purely bad so there are great sinners on the earth who commit some good acts from time to time that's not enough to merit you to get to heaven so why then would god if that person's not allowed to be saved because of these mortal sins on their soul, then why then would somebody who is not falling into mortal sin but has a little bit of evil and is pulled a little bit that way towards the spectrum through venial sin um, be damned as well? So right. he he right purgatory is a is a is something that is a really a testament to God's love. 
Yeah. And, um, and, and, and I think that's, I, I think that's why people are coming around saying, well, it does, it does really make a lot of sense. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Facillo and Joe Rosanello away in the breach. We're discussing purgatory with Kristen Van Newton from Sophia Institute Press. The first book in the first segment we're discussing is Father Martin Jugi's book, The Truth About Purgatory and the Means to Avoid It, Joe Rosanello. Just real quick, I think, you know, because in case someone's listening who isn't Catholic or even some Catholics who don't have like a, a deep understanding, let's just like maybe lay some like, you know, ground terms and then we could go forward. I guess um, the Catholic teaching believes that in order to see the beatific vision, you must be perfect. The Catholic teaching believes that when you go to confession, you're forgiven, but it, there has to be justice like like you know, outside of the stain of sin, we could, and Kristen, please, you know, kind of articulate that a little bit, because some people say, well, I go to confession, I'm forgiven. Absolutely, you are forgiven. Um, but there is a remnant on your soul. And then there is justice that has to be served. And that's why there's purgatory. Um, there are plenary indulgences. Um, and also one of the 15 promises of Our Lady is she will deliver us from purgatory. That's why I pray the rosary every day. Very important, very important. So Kristen, kind of lay the groundwork and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, Father Martin's book. That's right. So just as you put it, after you go to confession, your sins are forgiven. But if we visualize it like a physical injury, if you break an arm and it's healed, then you're able to use it again. But you still sometimes will have the pain or the scars left over your body. It doesn't make it through these traumas without some sort of scar remaining. And it's the same with the soul. After you commit a sin, even though it's been forgiven, like you mentioned, there's a matter of justice due to God which has been paid for already through our Lord's passion, but we must cooperate with that grace and meet out the exact proportion due to our sins from that treasury of, of graces available from his passion. So the those sins remain um, in, in that stain and have to be expiated for either on this earth and Father Yugi writes how it is much easier to do that on this earth than to suffer even one day in purgatory or afterwards in purgatory. And Father Jugi writes of purgatory as the sweet reasonableness of purgatory, he has a whole chapter by that name, um, due to these ideas that we were just discussing, that it is a mercy that it exists because otherwise, if you committed one sin, then that stain would be there and there would be nothing that you could do about it. So he, he discusses it also as a dogma of consolation. We, we can think of it as um, uh, just a way that we know that despite how painful it will be, if we have these stains due to sin on our soul, even after confessing, even when we die, that there is a way to still make it to heaven despite having these. And also, Kristen, just for our Protestant brothers and sisters out there who might be listening, this is also uh, biblical. There is a biblical reference. Am I correct? Talking about uh, like the fires, like you'll be purified through fire. Isn't there a biblical reference to purgatory? There is. They I can't remember right now exactly where, but I don't remember the verse. I think it says something along yeah. the lines of "You'll be purified. along the lines of if you build if you build your house on sand, everything you have will be washed away, but you yourself will be saved, but only through fire." I'm paraphrasing. I'm not a chapter and verse type guy, but I think about that a lot because unfortunately. You have people who I respect. I mean, I respect, let's say, Pastor Rick Warren, okay? But I don't like his dismissiveness when it comes to purgatory. Well, I don't believe in purgatory. It's not biblical. Yes, it is, Rick. Yes, it is. You don't want to see it. 
That's your. That's a you. That's what they call a YP. That's your problem. That's not. A, that's not an our problem. Okay. Then Jersey on it. you, Kristen. Yeah, well, I get angry. I get angry sometimes because don't say it's not in the Bible. Your interpretation of Scripture, your Protestant interpretation of Scripture, tells you it's not in the Bible. But you see, that's why Luther took out Second Maccabees because there's no reasonable explanation why anyone would pray for the dead if there's not a purgatory. Why would you pray for the dead if they're right. in heaven? They don't need prayers. If they're in hell, your prayers do them no good. It implies using our reason that God gave us, okay, when we read scripture to say, well, they must be in a place where their prayers are efficacious, okay? So it is biblical. I don't I don't really, I'm sorry. I, don't, again, I know you get a little animated, Kristen. Your comments on that, because I don't like when people do that. It is scriptural if you have eyes to see. Right, and there's another passage that comes to mind. I can't remember chapter and verse, but something along the lines of the sins that will be loose in this life and the next. So those, the idea that the sins are being expiated for in the next life after death, after you've moved on from this realm is also part and parcel with the idea of purgatory. Cause if, like you said, if they're in hell, then they're stuck with their sins forever. And if they're in heaven, sin is completely gone and all the pain due to sin is gone. So where is this other place? Right. And, 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 and that's our whole point. We, we are using our reason again, given us by God. Okay. Um, and by the way, I think those words, Christian are actually from the mouth of Jesus. I think, yes. I think yep. those are his gospel. words. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you see, Joe, we always get in trouble here at the front line with Joe and Joe. On the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. All right, all you Protestants out there, we love you, okay? So don't get mad because I beat up on Rick Warren a little bit. Uh, with that, I'm handing it over to Joe. Yeah, and then when Jesus says, amen, amen, you got to listen. That's, that's listen the bomb. That. He's about to drop a bomb. So like, yeah. like that's when you have to listen up. Um, Father Martin talks about the relationship, obviously, between the church triumphant, the church militant, and the souls in purgatory. Break all that down, Uh I think too, because I think that's definitely uh, some meat and potatoes that people can take away from this book. Sure. So the church triumphant are the souls in heaven. Anyone who is a saint by very basic definition is a soul that has made it to heaven. They have fought the good fight. They heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant, and were admitted to the beatific vision. The church suffering are the souls in purgatory who are confirmed in grace. They will make it to heaven someday, and they're ascending towards God with pure charity and pure virtue in their souls, but they still have pains that they are suffering in order to cleanse their souls. And then finally, the church militant, that's us here on earth. We are at risk of hell still. We're the only one, we're the only members of the church who are still at risk of sin. We're still able to commit sin because souls in purgatory cannot commit sin any longer, which is one of the benefits. And of course, we are trying to constantly make the kingdom of God here on earth. So we are seeking to imitate this church suffering and the church triumphant. In terms of prayer and where and how prayer is efficacious, the souls in purgatory, interestingly, cannot pray for themselves and they cannot perform good acts for themselves or any sort of virtuous work anymore. They're basically in a passive state where they're entirely reliant on the mercy of God and then the intercession of others. The church suffering excuse me, the church triumphant in heaven, their life there is constant prayer for others. You, you know, St. Therese says she'll spend her heaven doing good upon earth and, and helping other souls. So in heaven, the souls there have pure charity towards others. They're constantly praying for us here on earth, and they are also able to pray for the souls in purgatory. 
And then finally, here on earth, the church militant, we ask for the intercession of those who are next to God in the beatific vision in heaven, but we also have an important role to play in freeing souls from purgatory. The church militant is one of the greatest uh, sources of graces for the souls and the church suffering. So we actually are duty bound to pray for them out of charity because we are all members of the same church. They are just at a different state at this point in their journey towards heaven. So we are called to pray for them by name. So especially a duty to our ancestors and family members and close friends and those that we know of who have died, we can especially offer masses from both church teaching and also the visions of the mystics were told that a mass is worth the most grace in purgatory, which makes sense. It's the highest form of prayer in the church. So the <clears throat> are especially called to pray for them by name when we know who they are, but we can also pray just in general for the holy souls in purgatory and God will disperse those prayers as he sees fit, or you can ask our lady to meet out those prayers to souls who need it the most. Often I'll, I'll hear, I'm praying for the soul who is most forgotten in purgatory. And that's very important to do because some people died with no, either no Catholic relatives or today, often you'll see funerals don't even really focus on the fate of the soul. It's more of a celebration of life and it's about this world and sentimentality. No, it's important once that soul has passed on that you will be praying as much as possible. The other interesting thing is that our prayers for souls are outside of time. And because once you've died, your soul is outside of time. So if we pray for someone who died, even in the past, we can be confident that God will hear those prayers and apply them at the moment of that person's death. So if you had an ancestor that died hundreds of years ago, you can still pray for them now. You can pray for anyone. Um, and then, cause it's, it's discouraging when you find out a family member wasn't given a proper funeral or something like that, but that should not stop you from praying for them. Uh, the church used to require that three requiem masses would be said upon a person's death. And those were not a guarantee that they would get out of purgatory, but they were the best medicine to give to that, to that soul in purgatory. So the the relationship is very symbiotic between the three tiers of the church, so to speak. And St. Catherine of Genoa actually is quoted as saying in this book that she sometimes received more favors from praying directly to the souls in purgatory than she did from praying to the saints in heaven. Because the souls in purgatory, while they can't pray for themselves, can actually pray for us on earth. So if you are making sacrifices for them and offering up indulgences and sufferings, then they will pay that back in turn when they get to heaven. They're so grateful. You can imagine you're giving them the greatest possible gift, which is getting one inch closer to God, one step towards heaven. And that's the best possible thing you could do for another human being. So they won't forget that. And they'll, in turn, once they become saints, be able to intercede directly with God. And even before that, they'll be praying for you while in purgatory. One of the um, one of my favorite things that I've heard in my uh, in my journey, uh, Kristen Van Uden joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosanello on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're discussing purgatory, Father Martin Yugi's book, The Truth About Purgatory and the Means to Avoid It. One of the most beautiful ways I've heard it put was from uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen. And he said, when you die and you get to heaven um, and there's this incredible group of people that are coming over to hug you you go and you, you're going to say well I, and you don't know them who are they 
those are the people you prayed for in purgatory who are coming over to thank i get i choke up when i think about it you know like i pray for the souls of purgatory one of the most one of the most beautiful things my wife ever told me because i learned we learned from each other you know as husband and wife she says you know we have to pray for all this was a few years ago we have to pray for all the souls in purgatory especially those who have no one to pray for them and say it like that all right i want to meet those people I really want to meet those people because you know how grateful they are that somebody, somebody, and then we all should be doing this. That's why we're having this conversation. Joe Rosinello, I'm handing it over to you. Um, in Faustina's diary, uh, she talks a lot about the souls um, in purgatory. Um, to be honest with you, in, in, in reading it, it made me think particularly around some of the souls who were religious, who would ask other religious to pray for them. And I said to myself, gosh, if, if a religious person is in, in heaven, I, I'm in a lot of trouble, uh, so I better be good. But in that, something else I want to uh, bring out. It says, at the hour of death, Jesus will reach a hand three times to every soul. Now, I, that that's very uh, reassuring to me, even the worst people. And I'll say this, this is not the case. She is not a doctor of the church. You're, you heard it here on Veritas. I think she will become one down the road. I honestly believe that that diary is very insightful. This is not church doctrine. This is the gospel according to Joe Resinello. But I think she will one day become a doctor of the church, Faustina Kowalska. And in the book by Father Martin, he says that John Vianney was talking to a woman whose husband committed suicide, which is clearly a mortal sin. Um, what did he have to say to this woman? Because I, I only bring this up is you don't always know where it's going to go. You know what I'm saying? With even the worst sin or the worst person. What did he have to say to this woman? This is one of the most beautiful passages of this book. And the story goes that a woman was in a large crowd trying to approach St. John Vianney, and she couldn't get a hold of him. A lot of people clamoring for his attention, but he somehow sensed that this soul needed his help. So he sought her out. He could tell that something was weighing heavy upon her. And he told her through his gift of prophecy and knowledge through the Holy Spirit that her husband who had committed suicide had actually made it to purgatory because this man killed himself by jumping off of a bridge. And in the intervening time between when he jumped and when he hit the water, he had time to regret his decision and to make a full act of contrition. And that was enough to get him to, to get that sin forgiven and to at least make it into purgatory. I'm sure he had a lot of suffering due in purgatory, but it brought great comfort to his wife, of course, because now she knows he will be in heaven with her one day and that she can help him more than ever before by praying for his soul there. So it was just absolutely beautiful that even in the most dire of circumstances, if you have that perfect contrition, which is a grace given to you at the end of life, that even with a huge mortal sin committed just seconds before, that perfect contrition can recover your state of grace. It's, I, I, it's an incredible story. I remember when I first heard that, I was like, wow. I was like blown away by that. You know, because you always, you know, again, that's why we have to open our minds. You're like, I, I remember I used to listen to a lot of people. No, no, no. If you kill yourself, you're, you're, you're in hell. Uh, well, you know, you, you can't, you're not really accounted for God's mercy. You know, you're accounted, this is a saint, the Saint John Vianney, you know, mm -hmm. telling this woman, no, no, you're, you're, yes, he killed himself and it's a mortal sin. There's no question about it. Okay. But he was contrite before he died. 
you know, right. And that's uh, why it's it important to pray for them, even if you think it's all is lost, because there is that moment where either our Lord or our lady can appear to a soul in that split second before death. And that while your soul is still in your body, you have the ability to make that act of contrition in your heart. Yeah. And I, and, and yeah, uh, so uh, I, we're going to go to a break probably in about a minute and a half or so Christian, but, and then we're going to move on to father Rutolo's book. Uh, Quickly, uh, spiritual childhood and charity atone for a multitude of transgressions. All right, uh, how does how does how do we go about doing that? How do you you know living a life of spiritual childhood and charity as to avoid, according to Father Jugi, avoid purgatory? Yeah, so Father Jugi has a, an interesting section in the book after the sacramental means of avoiding purgatory, which are somewhat obvious to us of staying close to confession, receiving the Eucharist as much as possible, and making use of indulgences. He also includes a section called Holy Dispositions and Salutary Practices, in which he discusses dispositions, mainly you know, attitudes of the soul and ways that we approach life. And the greatest one is this sort of spiritual childlikeness. So we're not childish, but it's childlike. We, we live in a spiritual childhood where we're seeking to have full trust in our Lord. And as he says in the gospels, let the little children come to me. And unless you become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So this idea of full trust in the Lord, full surrender to his will, and just complete wonder at him. Uh, children are also devoid of pride. And we know that that is the root of most, if not all sins. So by rooting that out and by, it's not a regression to be a spiritual child. It's actually a preferable state. And so there are many ways that we can approach this. He gives us suggestions such as the constant remembrance of past sins and sorrow for them because of sorrow of hurting Jesus, flight from the occasions of sin, remaining innocent by avoiding mere occasions of sin and avoiding content that will corrupt you and take away that sort of spiritual innocence that can be regained. Um, resigned acceptance of the penances of God. And you'll see actually a lot of religious actually have this almost childlike demeanor where they're just joyful and trusting in the Lord. And it's not an, anything to do with immaturity, but they just, it's very much a, a spiritual site that is rooted in simplicity. Thank you for that, Kristen Van Uden, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We have to take a break. We're talking purgatory. Father Polo's book when we come back after the break. Don't go anywhere. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We're way in the breach of the Veritas Radio Network. Great conversation with Kristen Van Uden from uh, Sophia Institute Press. And we discussed in the first segment um, the truth about purgatory and the means to avoid it by Father Martin Yugi. Uh, now we're going to be talking about afterlife having explained by Father De um Father Dolindo Rutolo. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello, and we're going to have another great conversation. I absolutely love that name, by the way. Dolindo, Dolindo Rutolo. Rutolo. My <laughs> Lord, that is fantastic. There's so many you know, vowels in that name, in I, general, I can't even take it. There's certain Italian names that are just weightier than others, okay? It's like, um, but like Dolindo Rutolo, the guy's meant to be a, a, like a priest. 
Oh my goodness gracious. I love it. Uh, Father Rotolo in this book, uh, Kristen, he talks about the last four things. And sa uh, sadly, I don't think this is talked about enough um, from the pulpit. I think this is very important. Uh, the last four things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. I mean, I've, I've said this to people many times. You go to say a football game, giant stadium, tons of people, 80,000 people. Every single one of those people is going to end up in one of two places. Think about that. You're in Grand Central Station at 830 in the morning on a Tuesday. Every single one of those people is going to end up in one of two places. And we're not talking about an office building. We're talking about heaven and hell. Um, break that down, because I think that's very important. Right. This is, as you said, the most important thing to think about the most important organizing principle that we should look at the world through because in the end there are only two fates it doesn't matter what happened here on earth uh, if you had all the riches and a good family life and everything if you commit a mortal sin and don't repent of it and end up in hell it was all for nothing and i was reading this is in another sophia book uh vision of hell that a saint had and uh, the man in hell was a doctor and he had had great success in life he had helped a lot of people but he had vices he had unrepented mortal sins and he ended up in hell and he said that he could not remember any of the great works that he had written on earth any of the discoveries he had made any of the good works he had done any of the knowledge he had gained because the only thing that consumed his mind was the pain of the loss of god and the separation from god so this is really a, a wake-up call to prioritize our life and the relationship with god and following the commandments, living the good Catholic life is not at the top, then everything else is just vanity. And, you know, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And it's very sobering to think of that in the end, that really that facet of your life is all that matters. So we may have our different personalities here on earth. And that's one of the great <clears throat> you know, virtues of the universality of the church, we see all the saints have different personalities, but they all have that one thing in common that they subordinated all of their all of their personal proclivities to the will of God, whereas those in hell are all people who took pride and who essentially made little gods of themselves. And they all have basically nothing in common. There's no unity in hell. There's no sort of brotherhood, even in hating God. They all hate God, isolated, atomized, and individuated, whereas those in heaven retain their individuality, but they do so in a way that is pure unity with God. Kristen, could you break down the judgments? Because there's like two types of judgment. You're judged immediately, and then there's like, the break that down. I think that's also a, a, a good point that we can move forward from. Right. So the first judgment is at your death, and that is where you're brought individually before God to the gates of heaven, and either Jesus will say, go for me, I, I knew you not, or well done, good and faithful servant, and you will either go to hell, to purgatory, or right into heaven. The second judgment is the final judgment, which will come at the end of time after the apocalypse, and that's when all the dead are raised. Your soul is reunited with your body, and then the final separation occurs where those who are confirmed in hell will be thrown body and soul into hell and then the the resurrection of the body awaits those who 
lived um, good lives and made it into either purgatory or heaven. That's the point at which purgatory will be abolished. There will be no need for purgatory anymore after the final um, judgment and the second coming. And so all of those who are saints who made it to heaven will be reunited with their body and we're told will actually live body and soul on the new earth where this is basically it's better than the Garden of Eden, but it is how God intended us to live as holistic beings with body and soul confirmed in grace and unable to sin anymore. Mr. Van Uden joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Kristen, let me ask you this. We all want to get to heaven. I remember, uh, I guess when, when we were kids and we, we were asked at communion, what is the meaning and purpose of life? To know, love, and serve God so I could live with him for all eternity, all right? Um, there's a surrender that's involved there. You have to surrender yourself to the will of God, albeit we struggle, we're sinners, okay? Um, what is what is his famous Father Delindo Rutolos? What's his surrender prayer? Um, because to me, I need to pray all the surrender prayers I can, because I'm, I'm very, like they say in Italian, I'm cabotost, all right? Like I got a, I got a hard head, okay? Um, I know the right thing to do, but my thick skull stops me from doing the th thing. The most important thing we could do is to surrender to the will of God, to know, love, and serve him so that we can live with him for all eternity. What's Father Delindo's prayer? Well, I'm sure that that term in Italian probably appears in the original Italian of this book. Um, as he's trying to get, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Father Delindo is most well known for his surrender prayer, which has he developed into a novena as well, which is one of my favorites, the surrender novena, and it's literally throwing yourself completely at the feet of the cross and almost almost giving up, but in not in a, a negative way, giving up as in giving your will over to Jesus entirely, letting him guide you, him make your ultimate decisions. Of course, you have to hold yourself to a standard of not sinning, but you, the idea that to unite our wills most perfectly with God is what Mary did with her fiat and is how gain the great degree of holiness and is actually the, the first act that Jesus himself made in subordinating his will to that of the father throughout his passion as well with the agony in the garden he says not my will but yours to to god the father so it's joining jesus in that and then also giving him the reins of your life so i think the the refrain on you said on the rosary um each of the beads you say jesus take care of it is and just it it's handing it all over to him so Father Rotolo is well known for that. He was also a mystic himself. And Padre Pio, another of his contemporaries and a great saint, actually called Father Delindo Rotolo a living saint when he knew about him in Italy. So if that's not a testament to his holiness, then I don't know what would be. I did not know that. That's wild. Yeah, no, it's great. And we're talking about Father Delindo's book, The Afterlife. Purgatory and Heaven Explained. That's uh, Father Delindo Rutolo's book. Kristen Van Uden uh, is with the publisher, Sophia Institute Press. Kristen, where are people? Where can people um, not just buy this book? These books we're talking about, uh, but also everything at Sophia Institute Press. Both of these books are available at our website, sophiainstitute.com, and you can also follow us on social media for excerpts and up and coming titles. Okay, and that's it. And we should all. Do that. Kristen, you know what I'm about to say, because on the last time you were on the show and the time before that, I said it the same way. Don't buy it from the big box stores. Go and buy it from Sophia Institute. Let's support our Catholic publishers and let's follow them on social media, not just Joe Rogan. With that, I'm <laughs> handing it over to Joe Resinello. <laughs> yeah. 
I actually, I, I'll, I'll confess, I do uh, listen to Joe Rogan. Hopefully, that doesn't land me in purgatory. But I'm going to be honest. Joe and Joe. I mean, there's some collaboration. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Uh, in the people, book, people might ask, they'd say, wait, would, would, would Joe and Joe want to go on the Joe Rogan show? I would say, I'd say, forget about that. Do we want to have Joe Rogan on That's right. Show? That's right. I love it. I love it. Uh, Father Delindo, uh, in the book, provides proof of the existence in purgatory. Could you talk about that? I think that's very interesting. Yes. So he relies on a lot of the same source material as Father Zhugi in terms of the church's teachings, teachings of the fathers, including St. Thomas Aquinas. But what really sets this book apart and that I found interesting was the many examples from the mystics that he gives from saints who had visions of purgatory. So I'll give a quick rundown of some of them. We have St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi, who I had not heard of before, who was another Italian saint. And she had very extensive visions of the states in purgatory. And she describes the purification of souls according to the type and magnitude of the sins that they committed. The She speaks of, as we mentioned before, religious and priests being tortured and suffering in purgatory because they are held to a higher standard due to the graces that they were given through their holy orders here on earth. And and then she even had visions of babies or infants who, I mean, infants before they reach the age of reason are not, do not go to purgatory if they are baptized, but um, of children who were very innocent and whose pains were reduced because of their inability to really understand the magnitude of their sins. So a couple of examples here that should really put the fear of God into all of us. She sees a place where the liars were, which she says were very close to hell at the very bottom of purgatory. These souls were immersed in an icy pond and demons poured liquid lead into their mouths. She saw the souls of this miserly, of the miserly all but melted by this fire, which was like lead in a furnace. She saw the place of impure souls who had their sins forgiven, but did not make sufficient expiation on earth. Their place of expiation was filthy and rotten. The mere sight of it aroused horror and excruciating pains. She goes on to talk about souls who had never been grateful to God, because ingratitude is, is a sin that we don't often think about, and describes them as hard of heart. These souls had never known the meaning of, the meaning of their creator, redeemer, and loving father, she saw them plunged into a lake of liquid lead in pain because in their ingratitude, they had allowed the fountain of grace to remain sterile in them. So these very vivid descriptions of the suffering that goes on in purgatory. And it's it differs a little from other mystics accounts. And we can also talk about some other proofs that he goes through, including the Purgatory Museum, which is located in Italy, which the people of his time would have been quite familiar with, where souls who and this is a little known fact that I learned from this book, souls who are in purgatory sometimes are given the ability to visit the earth to request prayers from their loved ones. So they manifest as apparitions. So, you know, these, this is one way that you can discern if something is a soul requesting prayer from purgatory versus a demon is that the soul requesting prayer is good. It's confirmed in grace. It's not going to do anything scary or try to get you to sin in any way. Whereas obviously a demon would be, would have that tactic. It's but, interesting you mentioned yeah, that because we just interviewed Adam Bly and he said that yeah. he has, he's an exorcist. Um, yeah. And he basically said that that is common going to convents and rectories. 
because he th that soul knows they'll be prayed for. And that's kind of what Sister Faustina encountered when she was in the okay. convent, which kind of, interestingly enough, is what you're saying as well. Yeah. We, we had heard, um, I forgot the specifics of it. There was um, parents, child passed away, an adult child passed away. Um, and then they woke up one day and the child was at the, their son was at the foot of the bed and wow. basically said, uh, they, and they knew that it that it was real and it was a good thing because mm -hmm. the son said, can you please have 30 Gregorian masses prayed for me? Wow. Um, I will say I happened and Joe had heard the same story and we didn't know that. Um, and I have mentioned to Joe that we were going to go see um, a, a, uh, a mutual friend of ours who's, who's a priest because of I wanted to have that done for my father because at my wife's encouragement. Um, yeah. And Joe said, I heard that. I, I want to do that too because Joe's father passed away last year. My father passed away 15 years ago, but we both did that. We both had this good priest who good. did the 30 Gregorian masses, but it's based on what we learned because we had heard a, what we believe to be a true story, a, a child pleading with the, the parents. I'm in purgatory. Please have these masses said for me. And as you said, that's the highest form of prayer. Um, so uh, have you heard of the, the 30 Gregorian masses, by the way? I have. Yes. Yeah. That's, it can be said at any time, right? After, the, the person's death, like even 15 years after the fact. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you said, God doesn't yeah. exist in time and space. So, um, so the, and it's 30 consecutive, 30 consecutive masses uh, prayed specifically for that person. Um, mm -hmm. So I think uh, Joe's father was prayed for first for 30 days, and then the same priest prayed for my father for 30 days. But it was at, you know, it's because we, we, people like Father Rutolo, all right, people like Father Jugi who are telling us purgatory exists. Pray for these people. Do what you have to do for these people. Offer a fast. Do something, okay? Because they're they're going to appreciate it. Right. And Father Delindo gives lots of accounts in the book of the souls appearing in dreams as well. So he gives a couple of accounts of mothers who lost sons who had visions either in a waking state or in a dream. One that sticks out is a woman whose son had died and she had a vision of him walking with a group of boys towards a giant city so he was like a teenager at the time and they were all sprinting towards the beautiful city which we can assume is heaven but he was lagging behind he couldn't keep up he was sad he had to keep stopping and she asked i guess her guardian angel whoever was super um supervising this vision why is he stuck behind and received the answer that it was because she was constantly weeping and grieving for him, but not praying for him. And that her ability to help him accelerate his entrance into heaven was being squandered. And so immediately from that moment on, she just prayed incessantly for his soul, offered everything up. And we can assume that that, that helped him to, to make it to heaven soon. That's awesome. Kristen Van Newton's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, and we are discussing Purgatory, two books in particular that are published by Sophia Institute Press, The Truth About Purgatory and the Means to Avoid It by Father Martin Jugi, and The Afterlife, Purgatory and Heaven, explained by Father Delindo Rutolo. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. I'll, I'll refer again uh, to the diary of Faustina. She mentioned that, because um, my question is, how does one prepare for a holy death? I could recall in that diary, um, if you pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet at the deathbed of someone, um, that is a way for, for someone to prepare for a holy death. But how else does one uh, prepare for a holy death? 
So the first thing would be living a good Catholic life. So we never know when the moment of death will come. And what's really emphasized in in both of these books is that death is the culmination of our life. So we typically die as we have lived. So deathbed conversions are possible. And we always have that ability to make that act of contrition at the end of life. But really, your death is something you should be preparing for now and should really spend your whole life preparing for this most ultimate moment of your life, the most important moment that will determine your eternal faith. So things that we would think that would make a good Catholic life include staying close to the sacraments, putting aside our pride and making good confessions as needed and regularly, um, and also maintaining prayer. So Think, I think it was might have been another St. John Vianney quote, but he says that there, there is no one in hell who says the rosary every day or who, who said the rosary every day. So we need to make sure that we're having that, that basic level of prayer in our lives because it is so much easier to fall into sin, even venial sins, when we are just being lazy with prayer and letting it go. The also, we need to be praying for the grace of final perseverance. So I think we've discussed this before, but even in the end of every Hail Mary, we say pray for us now and at the hour of our death. That's because the moment of death can often even be the moment of greatest temptation. You'll hear accounts from people who work in hospitals even that that is when the demons most virulently attack the soul because it's their last chance to get you away from God. And they know that. And so oftentimes, even though it sounds paradoxical because you've almost made it to the finish line, there aren't really any temptations left in terms of hedonism or what you can gain on this earth, but the temptation to despair will come in at that moment. The temptation to throw up your hands and say, do I believe any of this anyway? What if there's nothing after death? And to to turn from God in that final moment is incredibly strong. And so this is something that we we ask Our Lady to be there with us, our guardian angel especially to be there with us. And we can ask the saints to be present at your deathbed as well so that you know um, you'll have as, as much help as possible. Also wearing the brown scapular helps quite a bit. The promises given to those who practice this devotion include what is called a provided death, which means having the sacraments at the moment of your death, which is the best way to ensure that you have your sins forgiven and are saved. And just to piggyback, St. <clears throat> Joseph is the patron of a happy death. So you could pray to St. Joseph and also the sacrament of, uh, what is it, extreme unction. Uh, that, that bridges yeah. that despair. That's why the church in her wisdom has that sacrament. Because, you know, if someone's dying, call for a priest. You know, we're Italian. If you call for a priest, if someone's sick, you know what they say? Oh, don't, don't bring the priest. Because that means I'm going to die. No, no, you bring the priest because he'll bless right, you right, and right. he'll give you. That's like, you know, people will be like, no, nah, I don't want the priest. I don't want the priest because then I'm going to die. No, no, the priest is going to yeah. help you. He's going to help right. you. And I think that the extreme unction being rebranded as sacrament of the sick, because it's called, has been a great flaw because it's not about your body in this life because people will treat it like, oh, I'm going to get healed after this. No, it's about your soul. It's making sure that your soul is in a spotless state if you are to die, and which is much more important than just a quick healing of your body, because you're going to die anyway. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, you reminded me of a great story I heard that uh, Chris Ferrara um, had said, had relayed, because he's an attorney, um, and he was representing a guy who's a criminal, okay? Uh, he represented him on appeal, and uh, the, the guy, I, I believe, lost a case, and he was in solitary confinement or whatever, but the guy had AIDS, 
guy had AIDS. And the guy was asking him about, you know, are they gonna are we gonna appeal it again? And Chris told him, uh, I'm I'm butchering a little bit, but there is a point to this. And Chris told him, he says, you forget about your life. He goes, you're you you have AIDS. You need to worry about your soul. And through that, he started to talk to him, encouraged him to pray. He got him he got him a scapular. Okay, so he got him the brown scapular, um, and uh, didn't know. So he, he went back a little while later to visit the guy, um, and uh, the guy was emaciated, dying of AIDS, right? Um, and Chris Farrar went in to see him, and he cries, telling him, telling the story. He says, and he went in to 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 talk to him a little bit and pray with the guy, and the guy couldn't even speak at that point. He reached under his shirt, and he pulled out the scapular. And Chris Ferrara broke down crying and they, you know, he prayed with him and the guy wow. shortly after that died. That's what we have to do. <laughs> you, talk about, you talk about final judgment. This guy was a criminal, probably a murderer of some kind or some really, you know, heinous crime. OK, yet yet he, this Catholic man took the time to pray with him at the moment of his death. So he's prepared for his death. And maybe he avoided purgatory. Yeah, um, you, know, you know, this guy. So that reminds me of a story from the life of St. Peter Claver, which I was, it comes from another of Sophia's books, uh, biography of the saint. And he would minister to prisoners, of course. And he met one like heinous criminal who he was able to convert and give the sacraments to the day before his execution. And this prisoner's journal was found. And in it, he wrote, this belongs to the happiest man in the world because he knew the great gift that had been given to him spiritually, the ability to be saved and have eternal life meant so much more than any possible suffering on this life, including his execution. And so it just really puts things in perspective because those of us who have lots of blessings in life are often distracted from this final reality and from the four last things. Whereas it's almost a paradoxical blessing for someone to be in those dire straits because it forces you to think about eternity. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I said something, I think, one time uh, to, to another Catholic, and I think they were kind of thrown back, and I wasn't trying to be judgmental, but along the lines of, of what you're saying, I said, if given the choice of a, of, of a little African baby being, uh, who's basically living in, let's say, poverty in Africa uh, with good, good Catholic parents, okay, and going to be formed properly, if I have that, if you ask me what, where that child's better off, uh, living in poverty with the Catholic parents or being adopted by Madonna, mm -hmm. I, I would say I, um, I want them to stay in poverty because mm -hmm. they're going to lose their soul the other way. Okay, right. you don't know. One you way to gain know. their soul. What's that? You don't know. Like if you lose. No, no, you, you understand. But I know what you're saying. There's no I don't want a child formed by Madonna. Okay, or mm -hmm. Lady Gaga. Okay, whereas I, I, I rather the child be formed by their poor yet, yet, uh, uh, you know, morally upright and Catholic parents is m m my larger point, you know, is, uh, you know, like you said, Kristen, because you can have all the riches in the world. It's not going to do you any good. Well, poverty could be a gift in that because that's where we look at things through the world's eyes. I mean, I've done a lot of traveling and I've seen very holy people in very poor places in this world, uh, Vietnam, uh, Haiti, you know, poor people, it may be a gift because the poverty kept you to Christ, close to Christ. Whereas, you know, God works in mysterious ways, though. But I know what you're saying, and I've actually thought about that. Uh, we don't see it as a gift, but it could potentially be a gift. Yeah. As, you know, but with regard to that, Christian, I mean, we all suffer on this earth. Do any of these priests, Father Martin or Father uh, Rotolo, talk about paying the debt while on earth because in scripture it says say if you take care of your parents 
that's a, a debt against sin, particularly you take care of, I, I'm pretty sure that's a, explicit to a, a man that takes care of his father, you know. Uh, is there anything like in the books that speak about, you know, accepting suffering on earth? We all have suffering whereby we pay our debt uh, to, you know, that would be otherwise paid in purgatory. Yes, and this calls to mind the words of another priest I remember who wrote a book of Sophia, Father Raul Plus, and he's another deceased author, but he says that there are two types of courage. One is active, the type of courage that propels you to fight in a battle, to fight the crusades, and then the second is passive and requires your acceptance of suffering and your fortitude and perseverance throughout that suffering. That type of courage is what is required of all of us, and sometimes we require the active type of courage, but the second type, the type Type of suffering is really not an option. The cross is not an option. And this is the type of courage that Jesus himself displayed throughout his passion. And so in both books, they discuss how not only the prayers and efficacious indulgences of the church can be applied to your own soul to expiate for these sins on earth, but also offering up every little inconvenience, even no matter how silly it may seem throughout the day, and performing a whole host of indulgenced acts and good acts. One that really surprised me that stood out uh, from Father Martin's book is writing good books, good Catholic books can be something that can help get rid of this pain due to sin, which is interesting because he he talks about how books are outside of time. And if a book is handed down as his was and Catholics or others read it and gain some sort of spiritual benefit from it, even after his death, all of those graces from those souls that he's touching from beyond will be applied to his soul at the moment of his death. So we can say that by reading the, the books of these two priests, we are helping them in their moment of death to have graces applied to them because these books are so edifying and help us in the Catholic life. So they, it's really just fascinating to think of what a bad book could do, of course, but the fact that they gave their lives to God in this way that they teach so many countless thousands of people that you don't even know that you're touching um, those graces will come back to help you. Absolutely. Kristen Van Uden joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. So Kristen, um, we probably have a couple minutes left, but real quick, where can people buy the books again and uh, the titles of the books? So they're called The Truth About Purgatory and the Means to Avoid It. And then secondly, The Afterlife, Purgatory and Heaven Explained. And we didn't really go into that, but he does discuss heaven in this book as well. So he basically tracks the journey of a soul from purgatory up through heaven and has some very beautiful meditations that are uplifting and optimistic about heaven as well. Both available at sophiainstitute.com. You know, what's funny is that if you if you ask most people if they read Dante, they'll tell you, oh, I I, I read I read the Inferno and I read parts of Purgatorio. Exactly. I never got to Paradiso. <laughs> it's like you don't read about heaven enough. It's like we're always focused in our minds on 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 hell or and or purgatory. I tell you, from what you described though earlier about purgatory, that that makes Dante's purgatory look tame, not for anything. Dante's oh, got the mountain, you got a rock <laughs> on you, you got to carry the rock up the mountain. Uh, so, uh, Kristen, any final thoughts? Um, because we only have uh, about a minute left. Anything you'd like to impart to the audience about uh, what's going on at Sophia, about these books, about purgatory, anything? You got about a minute. Sure. I'd say that purgatory can be a very scary topic. And I remember I gave one of these books to my grandpa and he said, oh, it was so terrifying. I didn't want to keep reading, but it is the reality. And so we only do ourselves a disservice from shying away from the, these realities of 
of life and the afterlife. And I think it, it does take a certain degree of courage to face these things head on. But on the other side of that is a real peace that comes in living in the truth and, and doing your best, throwing yourself at the feet of God to, to improve in virtue and to just beg him for the grace to become a saint. That is better than any sort of distractions we can ply ourselves with on earth, with you know, avoiding these questions is, is not going to help in the long run. So it's better to avoid purgatory than to avoid thinking about it. <laughs> Here you go. So go out. Go buy the book. Go on Sophia Institute Press. Kristen Van Uden, thank you as always for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. You're always welcome here. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me. God bless. God bless you. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, Veritas Catholic Network Radio mobile app. Share it with your friends. All our content's on the air. That means if you're in Turkey, then you can, you can listen to the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, and that's being broadcast in Connecticut. And I mentioned Turkey because we do have people downloading the app in Turkey. So if they can do it there, you can do it anywhere. Um, and please follow Joe and I on the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>